2020 election was chaotic in every way. Regardless of who you were rooting for, after four divisive and partisan years with a populist president, every side of the aisle has found ways to foster more distrust than ever in our democratic system. Conspiracy theories coupled with eyebrow-raising events like Jeffrey Epstein and his connections with the Clintons, Bill Gates, and other prominent people of power, including evidence of the Democratic National Committee meddling in the primaries to secure a nominee who they felt was safe in the face of Trump. All the while, political officials on both sides are participating in insider training, making millions while American people struggle with inflation, an ongoing pandemic, and continued uncertainty. How do we fix this distrust and this corruption? Let's be clear, though. None of this sentiment began or ends with Donald Trump. Of course, he was bombastic, unconventional, but that was his draw. All the issues I just listed are what led people to vote for Trump. He was refreshingly candid and didn't act like a groomed and polished robot running for office. Unfortunately, as with most celebrities or populist figures, a cult-like following forms, and cult followers tend to dismiss any criticism or naysaying about their thing or person. Prior to the 2020 election, Trump himself, alongside many of his allies, casted doubt on the integrity of our democratic process. They tried to portray the Democratic Party as incompetent and it would be impossible for them to win without rigging the system or cheating in some way. Fast forward through the COVID-19 pandemic where emergency authorizations were used in many states to allow the use of mail-in ballots to further promote social distancing and mitigate the spread of illness. The Trump wing of the Republican Party used these changes to signal more doubt and claim the Democrats were attempting to steal the election before voting had even occurred. Without going too much more into the weeds, we all know what led up to the fiasco at the Capitol on January 6th. And to this day, Trump and his supporters claim the election was fraudulent. With some even claiming that he is still the president and that President Biden is illegally occupying the White House. While Grant and I are going to discuss 2020 as the foundation for this conversation, we're more interested in looking at ideas and solutions to help repair the distrust that exists in our modern elections. Are there ways to ensure our most sacred democratic process remains impartial and secure from fraud? More importantly, are there solutions and updates we can all agree on without making election reform and accountability partisan? Stick with us as we weed through all things concerning election integrity. Enjoy the show. In my experience, conversations are best had with a glass of whiskey. Join me, Alan Kogan, as I engage in meaningful discussions while enjoying a glass of my favorite spirit. Welcome to the Kogan Conversation. We discussed having this topic because it is probably one of the most divisive topics that exists in our culture right now, just politically, but socially, it's if people are identifying with the the cultish ways of those who actually claim that the election was rigged or your vote doesn't matter or our democracy is just broken. I think two things can be true at once. I think that, you know, we can have a democracy that's riddled with corruption and money issues and racketeering, but our elections can still be secure at the same time. I just think that the problem with that is people are uninformed and don't know how to vote out of power the bad people or the corruption and it just kind of perpetuates itself but i guess i'm curious what your thoughts are we haven't really talked about this in our personal lives as much as other issues we've because i think we're both on the same page that it's kind of hilarious and outlandish to claim that russia hacked the election in the way that has been claimed like mike lindell and QAnon and all these crazy conspiracy theories um, but i'm curious to know if you think there's any weight to some of the claims. Is, is there something we should look into? I didn't even know that that was necessarily a claim for this latest presidential election, but I guess we're not necessarily specifically talking about presidential elections. Those just happen to be when the country collectively loses its mind. Things clearly get the most divisive. 2020 in particular was hotly contentious, I would say, even more so than 2016 when Trump actually won. And I, I, I just, at a certain point, it's like, can you pin so much mass hysteria about 
about and and lack of trust in our systems on one celebrity host basically there's a role to be played in in just how media across the board left right partisan nonpartisan depicts certain things and and either builds up trust in institutions that have otherwise let us down or breaks that trust down and it, it's all very like it goes into this weird culture war kind of stuff that we've been having and it, it is very like it's like watching live sports at this point like who's your team and how many deflated footballs are we going to investigate before we just have to go back to playing the fucking game i think across the board that there there's been a, there's a lack in our democratic process quote unquote and just how people are elected into office whether it be the president down to your local government and we were trying to figure out like well what 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 could be instituted what could be changed across the board to help people regain their trust as to these elections people winning widespread cheating claims being outlandish at a certain point because things are just so secure is that even possible and we were kind of disagreeing actually when it came to this point from what i remember you know before we get into that the specifics of of what could be done i think it's really important for us to make the caveat that unfortunately has to be made with every political discussion is that this is irregardless of policy irregardless of ideology irregardless of any political persuasion or person i i, I do not care one way or another versus you know President Trump, President Biden, Hillary Clinton, Bernie Sanders, you know, it doesn't, it doesn't matter. I believe that no matter who's running, even if they're the worst of the worst, they should have a, a fair access to the election and the voters can decide if they're the worst of the worst or the best of the best. The fact that there's so much evidence that that there has been widespread corruption within both the, the DNC, the Democratic National Committee and the RNC, the Republican National Committee in, in trying to get the candidate that they think it's almost like they're trying to be kingmakers, right? Right? They're trying to, they, they think that it's the best candidate. And with Trump, we saw that they were trying so hard in the beginning of 2016 or 2015 when the primary started that they were like, oh boy, we don't want to go down this road. But then they soon realized that the, the, the constituents actually liked him. Then they, they were all in. And the same thing happened with Hillary Clinton versus Bernie Sanders. And then we flash forward to the 2020 primaries where it kind of seemed like the Democratic National Committee swept candidates like Tulsi Gabbard and Andrew Yang and other uh, lesser known or not as beholden to the Democratic establishment. Uh, under the rug and they promoted candidates like Joe Biden, which again, this is regardless of his policies or whether you know we agree with him or not on anything. It's just the, the fact that both Biden and Tulsi Gabbard and Kamala Harris and Bernie Sanders deserve the same exact fair shot at the election system. There's already distrust with how we select the people who we're going to put up against each other. I just want to make that clear that this, this isn't about politics. It should not be about politics. If there's an honest claim of fraud, even if it's against your side, you should you should have the wherewithal, the humility to step back and say, you know what? There might be something here. Let's make sure all of our T's were crossed. Let's make sure all of our I's were dotted because transparency and doing the right thing will show the American people that we actually care about having a just election. If we don't do that and we just stick to our guns and clutch our pearls at, at the, the notion that someone's going to accuse us of fraud, then where are we going to go? I struggle to understand the, the messaging around failing to be transparent. It makes no sense to me. It, it's it's self-defeating. How about we have an election last for an entire month? People can do their voting and then we're going to go in and we're going to make sure every vote is counted. I's are dotted, T's are crossed. And we know for sure either both sides can come to the table and say, all right, I agree with whatever mechanism was there to determine the winner and whatever fraud there might have been or mistakes might have been made, we've cleared them up and we know what the actual result is. But that I also just said both sides because that's, I think, another giant factor into 
what the issue is, is that it's, it is very much a two party thing. And we've talked about this before last year before the election and solutions to that, but everyone having equal access to the election process, like all candidates should be having an equal amount of time. I think that should apply to all parties as well. Like, cause we're clearly in a binary that's driving a lot of division. What's the best path forward? I guess two part question. One, who is the onus on? Where does this responsibility fall? Is it people who are currently in government at local, state, and federal levels who need to fix the messaging and the feeling thermometer around elections? And two, what are the solutions that can be done, whether it be at any of the levels? Is it technology? Is it transparency? Is it a mix of both? What's your gut reaction just to, to solve the issue that we just faced in 2020 and the sentiment that exists prior? I don't necessarily want our career politicians coming in and making more rules that can either like their their idea of helping this system and, and fortifying whatever is there like I, I don't necessarily agree that that's the best way to go but I think a lot of it could should and probably be on private citizens I don't think this this starts at a, at a national level I think it, it starts in in various communities where they can find a way to have an open transparent and secure election and it comes with I think technology solutions I think it would be a big game changer. I think it's something that starts small and and gets adopted wider and wider, and hopefully we can work towards some kind of fifty to one hundred year plan, <laughs> like like looking that far ahead into rebuilding the trust because I think the damage has been done, and what we have now is pretty untenable. I don't know how doable that actually is, but I don't I don't think it comes from from actual people who are in there already and people who are career politicians. Like I would rather vote for someone who at a local level knows the neighborhood, knows what the issues are, and literally has face-to-face time with his his or her constituents, and we figure out a better, more transparent thing. And I think a big driver of a lot of the issue is, like, the onus, if I had to put on one specific entity, would be just the media at large and how they report on elections and what gets covered how how politicians are covered too but how do you how do you change that without having cuz i i mean the far left would probably argue for a state sponsored media outlet that makes sure that things are quote unquote unbiased the far right which is just hands off then we kind of ha- we have what we have now and i'm all for a free press but you can't legislate culture right we consume what we want and that's probably, i think that's the bigger issue here is that social media is probably a larger nefarious actor unintentionally nefarious actor because it it it, it fuels the worst of us and cnn msnbc fox all the big media corporations that used to be credible with, you know, Walter Cronkite and the people back in the day who didn't give you their spin, they just gave you the facts. They have more of a of a necessity to survive, to get clicks, to get likes, to get video views, to get, it's not just ratings on TV anymore, it's it's so much more than that. So they have to write sensationalized things and, and sensationalized TikTok videos and bullshit like that. So they're, they're falling victim to that culture war and our consumption is fueling that. So how do you, you can't legislate that. Because I agree, you can't, I wouldn't want top-down legislation or rules or regulations, but what's the, I mean, is there going to be an awakening? Is 2020 the start of us saying, oh shit, 
Trump wasn't the greatest and Biden wasn't the greatest, but you know, maybe we should pay attention. I don't I don't see that happening. Short term, I don't see any kind of real substantial change happening. I think it's gonna get it's gonna keep getting worse. Like trust in our systems keep getting worse. I think if I'm gonna compare it to the media landscape, and we don't want we're not talking about like media necessarily, it's just a very large factor into how elections are run these days. But in terms of like specific reporting that I listen to now, it's usually independent journalists who either have like substacks or do their own reporting either through podcasts or whatever kind of shows and they've got that credibility from some kind of large larger platform and have now moved to becoming independent and it's almost like that has restored a, like a, a, just a sliver of credibility because it's like here's one person who I know is not necessarily being influenced by large corporate money or corporate interests which is in bed with politicians like they're just reporting and through their history of reporting and through what they're doing now as an independent that has helped just restore some of my trust into some of that system of like media reporting and stuff. I mean, it all comes back to the money too at the end of the day. But yeah, I guess it's, it's that's why I see it starting smaller. I see just like a, just what it's going to take is just almost a complete breaking of everyone's trust in in the system of, of elections and small steps toward restoring that. No, yeah, but the, I think the bigger problem too is, is just a wider cultural shift that needs to happen from, and I, I've made that, I've been consistent on this point that we celebritize the president, probably starting with JFK as the real celebrity president. Every president after him in some way has been just so, I mean, look at how the inaugural ball is, is reported on and the first lady's gown and it's a fashion thing and everyone, how the White House is decorated for Christmas. Now, I'm I'm not, I'm not against that stuff. I think there's there's really beautiful thing in tradition. I'm not opposed to that. I was just at the Smithsonian Museum here in DC going through the, the hall of the first ladies where they have every first lady's dress, including newly acquired Melania Trump's dress. And that's that's great. I think it's cool to have some history and to say that these were people who served our nation as public servant. That's that that's wonderful. I don't care. For us to put so much value in the consumption of that stuff, to treat President Barack Obama as like end-all, be-all savior of, of of everything that was about the country because he was such a good orator. He was such a good charismatic leader. You know, He was an effective president, for worse or for better. I, I, again, policy aside, you can't deny the fact that he was an effective, charismatic, good-looking family man guy. Trump was bombastic in the other way, but he was still a celebrity. He was a celebrity prior to becoming the president, and he brought forth more of that celebritized grandeur to the presidency. And, and, and President Biden, to a, to a lesser degree, is bombastic, but he's also very well known and he you know goes for photo shoots and he goes and eats ice cream with his aviators on. And, you know, he's known for that stuff. And that's I, I don't have a problem with that, but I have a problem with us as a, as, a, as a citizenry taking that as like it is like we're watching the royal family do things and it's amazing. And like then then all of our minds turn to mush when it comes to policy. And we forget what actually matters at the ground level that like these these elections and the way that our, our our elections are run are usually down to the city council at our local mayor's office. But we don't vote for our mayors. We don't vote for our city council. We don't vote for our school board. We don't vote for our older people. For fuck's sake, even your block party chairman or something. We, we don't care about local stuff that actually affects you. We put so much weight and value in the presidency, which I would argue is proof that the presidency has too much power from a constitutional aspect, but that's a different conversation. So how do we 
shift ourselves from that value and say, all right, I'm going to focus on our older persons, our city council members, and I'm going to lobby them for what I think is effective election change in my community. I'm not going to worry about Texas. I'm not going to worry about California. They're going to do their own thing. They have the right to do their own thing because they're their own states and their own communities. They can vote for whatever they want if they want. But perhaps that's another question we can ask about this whole election distrust thing. Should there be uniformity in elections? Look back at 2000 when Florida royally fucked up the the Bush v. Gore thing where they had the hanging chads. They had a unique system where you punched a hole through the paper and the paper wasn't counted correctly because there were hanging pieces of paper that weren't punched out all the way. So it was a maybe vote. Should there be regulation and saying, okay, this is what's effective in elections. We're going to do everything with a barcode or with a with a marker and a, and a, and a bubble to fill in with a marker. Or should we just have technology on our phones and apps where you just vote online and just say, okay, screw it. I'm not going to leave my house. I'm just going to vote online with my phone. I don't know what the answer is there. I, I, I'm a big fan of letting communities do what they want, but I don't think people are invested enough in their community to care. And that's the bigger problem. So when this happens in 2020, when it happened in 2000, when it happens again, inevitably, people are going to cry foul and, and look to the federal government to fix it. When in reality, the onus and the way that operations are done is at the local level. I guess my question to you is, should it be? If, if there's a federal election, you know, state election, local election, that can be done by them however they want to. They can, you can pick straws for all I care. That's if that's how you want to run your election. But for, for, the, for the presidency, should there be a federal regulated uniform style of voting or should it be left to the states or communities? I, I don't know the answer. Every month, Grant and I will tackle an important topic while enjoying a glass of whiskey. If you don't agree with our opinions on these issues, that's great. We want to hear from you and hear your side of the story. Our goal is to understand different perspectives and engage in conversations that matter without regressing to the same division that exists in our hyperpartisan politics. We can and must do better in finding common ground. Discussions breed solutions. The Kogan Conversation is a podcast that welcomes respectful discourse, paired with a glass of whiskey, of course. If you'd like to offer your take on an upcoming episode or join us for a glass of whiskey, please reach out to us on social media or head over to our website and send us a message. Wouldn't it be nice to know what topics are coming up and when an episode is releasing from the Kogan Conversation? Subscribing to our podcast on YouTube, Apple Podcasts, following us on Spotify, and of course following us on social media helps immensely. You can also head over to our website and sign up for our email list so you never miss out on any episodes or information. Cheers! So this is going to be a bad example, and we're probably going to differ on this, and this should say something because this is a company I normally generally dislike, but let's take like a company like Apple here, who I would say, regardless of your thoughts on their products and, and just their general business and how they make their stuff in other countries, I would argue that they have a pretty great reputation when it comes to privacy and security. I think that generally their rep is that they're not going to sell your data like a like a Google or a Facebook is going to do. And when it comes to security on their devices, like they, they've made pretty a hard line stand, like when, you know, the FBI comes knocking and says, hey, you got to help us hack into this terrorist's phone. And they're like, no, we're not going to do that. Like, yeah, it's just all these all these factors they built up over the course of how many years they've been making devices. They have a rep. And so I'm going to say 
say, let's take a company, let's say Apple themselves are like, hey guys, we come up with this cool new way, this cool new app we're going to put on the app store. It's going to work across all devices, including on Android and all this shit. And you can vote based on your biometric data, which is, which is super hard to hack and super secure. And trust us because we've been super solid on this in the past. Like we're going to take our past rep, we're going to put it on this new thing that we're going to just put out there and see if it gets adopted uh, across the board in terms of like voting for the new president of the United States. And I think that would be like a huge step. And I think people would go for it actually, because it would be super easy. So many people have iPhones. They could stay in their house and they could vote for whoever is the next president on their fucking phone using whatever face ID, a touch ID or anything, biometric data that's really hard to fake and really hard to hack. And, and, And I'm sure that opens up a huge world of hurt as well on the other side to say, oh, well, that can be hacked. That can be remotely gotten into. These things can be faked. And it's like, okay, but I think generally, if we're going to look at what trust is put into that versus what trust is put into people punching holes in a piece of paper or, you know, drawing lines that like so many different poll workers are going to physically count. Like at this point, people, I think, trust a computer to count things more than they would a person generally. So it's kind of a question of what has more trust built in and where is technology going and the potential of it and ease of use. I think all those factors could build up into a thing that would help strengthen, while not perfect, the integrity in an election. I think... If, if a reputable company like Apple, who's established in, in privacy and security and well-trusted, whether they should be or not, I think they, if they do that, if they come out with that, that, that technology and that, that, I mean, that technology exists. It's just putting it together. I think it's possible, I, I, but I, I, think the, I think you're going to have a lot of pushback from, unfortunately, the, the boomer and older crowd that still exists today. Because like our generation, millennials and younger, have an inherent trust in technology. Now, I take my precautions. I cover my webcam. I know it's possible, but with the right security measures and cautious you know, maneuvering of the internet, you can be fine. Is is that a monopoly, or does because or or does Apple do it open source? Because if it's open source, and then every every phone company, every every computer company can just have this on a website, and they say, "Hey, government, we're going to make this thing. You can make it on a .gov NSA secured website. It was fully encrypted. You monitored for." any kind of risk from from nefarious actors like China or Russia who might have stand to benefit from rigging our election or trying to do stuff you know maybe maybe that that's the that's the best case scenario I, I don't know I just don't know if there is something to be said for the tradition of going to the ballot box or is there an inherent benefit and I, this is going to sound terrible and I'm not saying this because I believe this but I'm saying it because I think that's this is part of the pushback from things like this is there an inherent benefit to having less people vote because people don't understand what the hell's happening in in the, in the first place so now you open the floodgates of just people to voting and now you open the doors for a write-in candidate or a bunch of people to vote for you know Bodie McVote face on the internet and just say you know this is the candidate now are there other preventative measures is there an education gap here to make sure that we don't misuse this I'm pretty pessimistic when it com- comes to people I don't trust people to not be trolls when it comes to stuff like this especially especially if we did it in 2024 like the follow-up to this last election people are just going to be idiots hey we did it in 2016 but you know what I'm trying to say I I, I don't 
could I mean, could there be a, a kind of a hybrid of well, here's a, OK, here's the thing here. The the way that I understand it is the Dominion voting machines that are widely used by everybody that that our favorite thought leader, Mike Lindell of MyPillow, has been complaining about with the hacking of, of, of those machines. Number one, they are not connected to the Internet, so they don't they can't get hacked unless you actually go there with a, a, a cord hardwired in and hack it. It's just a counting machine like you count money or you count change, right? Those machines are you can they, they have electronic versions of them as well, where you can go in touchscreen. There's been issues back in the day when touchscreen was first implemented. It's, you know, you have two different types of touchscreen. You have heat sensitive, where you can, you know, it's, it uses the, the conductivity of your finger, or you have the, the pressure ones where you actually you know, you press the screen, the screen feels the pressure of your finger. When touchscreen was brand new, there was a bunch of issues with it and it didn't work the best. And there was, there was probably a thousand votes here and there that didn't get counted correctly. In the grand scheme of things, does it really matter for the, the turnout or the, the end result? Probably not, but it could. I think we have to look at this from a pragmatic sense in the fact that we aren't going to get rid of every single issue ever. It's like saying that we're going to solve crime. You, you, you can't, or we're going to stop people from getting sick ever. You, you can't. You, you just cannot do that. You can mitigate. You can put in things and, and, and put procedures in place to make sure things don't happen at the highest rate. But if we accept as a society that there are going to be issues with the vote with voting, there are going to be people that slip through the cracks. There are going to be idiots out there who, for whatever reason, put on a mustache and go back in and vote one more time. There's going to be, we have to give that cost benefit analysis, right? What's the percent of error that we're allowing to, to have? Is it 5%? Is it 10%? That's probably too much. 1%? You know, I, I I don't know. So if we say that that margin of error is going to be mitigated by putting in place this technology and saying everyone votes from their phone using biometric scans, like you said, I think the bigger problem is it's the onus has to be on the people who are doing it, whether it be Apple or the government or both of them together or a bunch of technology companies together saying, okay, guys, this is our game plan for the next four years. We're going to try it out. We're going to try it out with a fake voting for like a fake election with Bob and John and Sarah. And we're going to vote for these people and it's going to we're going to have voting last for two days rather than just a day. And it's going to be all on your phone or on your computer. And we're just going to see how it goes. And we're going to give you the, the background data, the schema behind everything to show you how transparent we can be with this process. So if you have any concerns about things being miscounted, because I think that there's a bigger issue with people thinking that technology can be manipulated in the back end, right? I can manipulate data in an Excel spreadsheet to show whatever I want to on a web page. I can't do that with a hand counted paper ballot. So if that paper ballot is miscounted, that's a human error. It's hard to fuck that up, especially because everything's under lock and key. People are being supervised and luckily more people are good than bad. But you have a computer system with an algorithm or a counting thing. And, and let's just say someone wants to change something. You put in that one semicolon or that one comma or that one space or parenthetical in the code. And now you can add certain votes to certain people. That has to be transparent. That has to be shown that that's not, that's not happening. And there are safeguards to prevent that from happening. Because I think in, even if this is just blowing smoke, I think people have that conspiratorial like, oh, well, then, you know, the tinfoil hats are going to come. So I agree with changing the technology. I don't know if what the best way to implement it or the road to get there is. Well, as long as I, I was just going to say, as long as there's been ballot boxes, there's been ballot stuffing. Right. But let's take something like technology that's pretty fresh still, uh, something like the blockchain or Bitcoin, because Bitcoin exists on this decentralized network called the blockchain. I don't understand necessarily how it works, but I do know on the blockchain, everyone can see every single transaction that is made with Bitcoin. It is just like a tremendous amount of data, but since it exists 
in no one centralized place. It's a decentralized currency. All of that data exists in multiple places at once. So if one system goes down, you can still see it on all these other ones. And so, yeah, like every single transaction of Bitcoin, no matter who you are, or where, you, where you're putting it, or what you're doing, that can be seen on this decentralized network because it doesn't exist in one place. So there's a fair amount of transparency there with something like that. So say this new voting system existed on something like that, because like, would you consider the voting as it is now either like, would you consider it a centralized thing or like a decentralized thing? That, I think that's a, that's, that's, that's a larger question though, because I, I think decentralized and centralized, those are two big words for the, the, the general populace to not understand what you're talking about. I think more and more people though are, are, are coming to understand this technology. Like, where we're getting stupider, like people are also getting smarter. And yes, it does leave a fair amount of people in our population behind, especially older folks who are, you know, boomers and don't understand, you know, cellular devices. But I think if we're generally going in that direction already, there is potential there to say like, well, even though we don't know exactly how it works, I don't know how the blockchain works. I would say that in this world of, of a decentralized currency, that people seem to have put a lot of faith in given its worth and not everybody understands it. That same thing could be said of something like a vote, which is really just a number of data at the end of the day or an input and you get an output of a new candidate. So you say Apple designs this decentralized voting system that you get all these inputs that are transparent and easily traceable to any specific person who made them. And that's totally transparent because it exists across all these devices. And then it doesn't go feed back into Apple directly since it's feeding into all these other systems and places. You could have each candidate even uh, nominate their own vetted third party private firm to take in that data and come up with like three separate, like say we have three candidates running, three firms counting these numbers and the numbers go to all the media outlets as well. And at the end of the day, you're going to get hopefully three identical numbers. And then whatever differences are there, you could attribute very clearly and provably to, I don't know, nefarious reasons or whatever. I, and I, I don't understand if this is this how this technology actually works. I just think like something like that is very possible where you keep it as you don't keep it in one place to to increase the uh, integrity of it. You give this data as much like transparency and give it to as many people as possible and access to it. So the people who do understand it can tear it apart and piece it apart and then come to a, a similar conclusion as another person that are that is totally unrelated. And you have these firms that all come up with a Joe Biden wins uh, result at the end of the day. And it's pretty clear like, okay, well, Joe Biden won. <laughs> like you said, like centralized, decentralized, I don't necessarily know what it means, but I know I own, I own Bitcoin. That's what I know. I don't know how it works, but I have trust that it has value because other learned people have told me so. This podcast is a work of passion and it's completely self-funded. We want to continue providing this platform dedicated to free thought and conversation, but we kindly ask that you show your support. Patreon isn't just a platform where you can give a small monthly donation. It also gives you exclusive access to extended, unedited episodes, bonus content, as well as creative input into whatever we cover. Being a supporter on Patreon makes you a member of the Kogan Conversation family and helps us continue this passion project. For just a few bucks a month, you can help us grow. The more we grow, the more perks can come to being a supporter on Patreon. Head over to our website and learn how you can sign up. Thank you for joining us for this important topic. 
Claims of election fraud have been at the center of much of our current political divide, and it's important for us to acknowledge the perspectives of every side if we truly want to find a solution. Make sure to check back on November 29th for part two, where we'll continue to discuss everything concerning election integrity. In the meantime, we would really appreciate any feedback or thoughts you might have for the show. I'm Alan. And I'm Grant. Thank you for listening to The Kogan Conversation. This podcast is about engaging with different perspectives, values, and ideas. We want to learn how to progress conversations on important topics without assuming the worst in each other. Each month, we will tackle a new topic while enjoying a glass of our favorite spirit and shed light on the beauty of good conversation. Until next time. Cheers.